as people go out and celebrate in the streets, like the new messiah is coming, Joe Biden, like president, many are wondering, what's going to happen with corona? Is it gone? Well, rising cases have changed that narrative. Case numbers in the United States have been spiking for several weeks. Weekly infection reports reached record levels in more than half the country in early November. There were almost no hopeful signs in the data. As conditions worsen and winter, winter approaches, some go governors along the Northeast, like Massachusetts, issued stay-at-home advisors. In Iowa, exhausted hospital leaders pleaded with the residents to wear masks and avoid crowds in rural counties and major cities. Infection rates are rising. If we're looking at this COVID-19 map, the case counts are rising. The total number of cases since the beginning of this pandemic is 9,913,000 Americans who have been infected by this virus. And 238, around 238,000 have died, which is 2.4% of all the total cases. Although 2.4% isn't a high number, the amount of Americans who have died is a substantial amount. And I think we have to realize and recognize that. And I would like to just do a quick little moment of silence for those Americans who have fallen. Now, the CDC, I know a lot of people are confused about what are the actual regulations. So this is straight from the CDC and how you should fend off the virus. People need to obviously stay six feet away from each other. I've been telling this people for a while. Like, I know you're wearing a mask and people want to get to their normal lives. But between close quarter, uh, close quarter, close contact environments, I think it is necessary that you should be wearing a mask. I know people have a lot of problems with it. It's not their fundamental right. But let me tell you this. If you're rocking into a Shaw's and you're told to wear a mask, put a mask on. I know that in the Constitution it doesn't say that you have to wear a mask or people can require you to wear something or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It's a private-owned business. They have the right to deny you. They have the right to give you service. You know like that old saying? No shoes, no shirt. But you ain't going to get no service, all right? So just please be wary and responsible. Like, I know in open air, there's a lot of people who just don't wear their mask. And I'm okay with that to an extent. I don't wear my mask in, pub, in open air. Uh, it depends on the situation if it's close quarter contact. But I think this is where this level of responsibility comes in. And this is where you have to be accountable. Um, it's not the world doesn't just revolve around you. It doesn't hurt to wear a mask. Yes, it's annoying. Yes, it gets hot. Yes, people can't see their faces or they can't see their children smiles and it makes all the Karens little man and all this emotion. But realize it's something bigger than you. And this is coming from a person who hates masks. And realize this. In order to get actually sick, it's not through close quarter, um, through touching things or sharing except if it has saliva, it's through the air. So as much as these masks, some sort of protects us to an extent, there's no science fully to back this because they did hardcore masks in Italy and they're still ravaged through um, infections and infect their infection rates increasing, the cases are increasing. But it's some sort of protection. It's better than nothing. It's like if you're going, to, um, if you're going out, are you not going to wear underwear? It's like... Yes, you can wear shorts on top of it, but 
Yeah, it's better. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's better. Than <laughs> I was trying to go off some random analogy, but you're not going to go into the public with just putting your pants on. You got to put underwear or not. You got to put some shorts under your pants just in case, just to protect. Because at least it's some sort of protection. It's kind of that same scenario where at least it protects you at some sort of um, rate. But let's talk about like the cases by age group. So out of all the cases, here's the ones who are most worried or the people who actually receive this virus more. So from around 18 to 64 year olds are the likely categories to actually be infected with the coronavirus. 18 to 29 year olds experience a 23.8% chance, 30 to 39 experience 16.5% and 40 to 49 experience 15.2%. And 50 to 64 is 20.5%. This is out of the whole total of the amount of people who've been infected so far. But of those people who died in those age groups, 18 to 29, 0.5% died from that group. And with the tw- of the 100, and so this is, I told you, 23.8%, that total is actually 1,779,000 cases. And of that group of 18 to 29 year olds, only 929 died. Which is 0.5 percent, and I not I know I say only these are American lives, and we should be really sad for you. But this is something that I think people need to recognize, like how dangerous this disease actually is. not disease. I keep on calling it disease. This virus actually is specifically even also 30 to 39 year olds. One million two hundred thirty-four people got the disease, uh, got the virus, and of that group, only two thousand passed away. From 40 to 49-year-olds, 1,300,000 people got sick, and only 26,000. As you're noticing, it is increasing the older you get. By 50 to 64, 26,000 people died. And 65 to 74, 36,000 people died. It is getting dangerous the older you get. But look at the amount of people who are actually getting these cases. So the 65 to 74-year-olds, only 7.6% out of all the people who been infected actually got the um, got the sickness and the total is 568,000 of that 568,000 only 36,000 had passed away now it's not to say this is again this is not a sad moment but to actually realize the numbers and what's actually going on I think this needs to be made clear but it's not we're not trying to be all doom and gloom there are benefits and there's some sort of hope that's coming along the way. Um, I know President Trump, during his uh, his debate, he mentioned how he had this plan. This plan that the vaccines are all coming through, uh, Johnson & Johnson, and all these big vaccine tech companies are in their last stage. How do you think he came back from... Uh, that from being sick he used that regeneron potion and healed him up like an elixir from fortnite like gulp 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 and he was good maybe he had other things that was uh, pumped into his body too we don't know i'm not gonna over um exaggerate or uh just fabricate some lie but there seems to be some sort of vaccine that's along the way and what it's really interesting to see is how now articles are being posted now after this weekend joe biden was elected president i'm not trying to make any clear assumptions or connections but it does seem a little fishy how it just goes from nothing 
hush and quiet about the coronavirus vaccine in that only one instance when Trump mentioned it. And then I know where, bam, bam, bam. But it's like there's multiple companies coming out and saying that they can, um, that it's along the way. So we have this article from the New York, New York Post. President Trump on Monday suggested that the FDA conspired to delay the release of the coronavirus vaccine until the 2020 president election. Trump made the charge in a tweet Monday evening, hours after the Pfizer drug company announced an initial analysis of their COVID-19 vaccine and showed 90% effectivity. The FDA and Democrats didn't want to give me a vaccine win prior to the election, so it came out five days later. Like I've said all along, Trump wrote. Sorry, I'd give it a god-awful Trump impression, but we're going to go with it. And it's only going to get better and better. <laughs> Unless not, next maybe I got only two months left with Trump. But Joe Biden impressions, here I go. Since his loss to Joe Biden in the 2020 election, this is what the New York Post wrote, which was called on Saturday, Trump has repeatedly said he has been cheated out of victory. Democrats who created a widespread voting fraud campaign, and, but however, Trump has had no conclusive evidence yet to back up his claims. This is getting very dangerous, though. If Democrats are really in these allegations and what Trump's saying is true or not, it's kind of dangerous that Democrats are putting Americans' lives on the line for political power. I'm not saying this is a definite, but the New York Post, it's one of those reputable web, um, news outlets that's been here for years. And um, Pfizer vaccine, which was announced the same day, the U.S. surpassed 10 million cases of COVID-19, which may begin to be administered to the population as soon as later than this month said dr fauci on monday so fauci's coming out and saying that there's hope that this vaccine is going to come out but like perfect timing right he says you have to go through the hoops of making sure all i's are dotted and the t's are crossed about the safety and regulatory aspects of it but we'd be giving the vaccine to people very likely before the end of this year that is good news although this is very good news it's not like we haven't heard of this before. The debate, debate was, what, three weeks ago? It's only coming out now, and the, the there was always this array of, is this vaccine going to be actually good? Is the first vaccine going to be safe for everybody? Democrats have been playing this narrative for months now, saying that the vaccine, they won't take it. They can't trust it. It's Trump's vaccine. He must have done all this crazy stuff to get by and create this thing and cut all the boundaries. But now that Joe, uh, Joe Biden's president... What? So that just flipped? Now that since he might be elect president, his vaccine is going to be perfect. It's going to be great. It's going to be um, save American lives. No, that's not it. And you can't even take credit for that. So, so for example, Pfizer's corona vaccine, it's it was basically a Trump administration accomplishment. It was under his regime. Regime. Sorry. It's under his. <laughs> people probably think it's regime. But it was under his administration. It's. This narrative that the media is playing, it's unacceptable in my opinion. This is just further along with Dr. Fauci. Pfizer's corona vaccine could be administered to the people by the end of the year. Speaking to CNN's Wolf Blitzer, Fauci said, There's some remaining questions about the vaccine, which the pharma giant said Monday proved 90% effective. But it's very likely the shot could be getting administrated this year. We may have doses that we're able to give to people by the end of November or the beginning of early December. Probably well into December, Fauci said, calling the drug maker's announcement a really big deal. This is likely to have 
a very effective vaccine that can be administrated. I want to make sure and make this clear. If if Donald Trump is our president, he's already had plans to administer the vaccine. He already said that they're all going to be it's going to be free and that the military, the national guard are ready to disperse. But how is Joe Biden going about it? President-elect Joe Biden named a pandemic advisory board as a part of his push for bold action to defeat the coronavirus. He urges Americans to wear masks and prepares them for lockdowns. He hasn't denied before that he wants um, a mask mandate, whether it's constitutional or not, but he doesn't care. It doesn't matter who you voted for, Biden said. It doesn't matter your party. You could save tens of thousands of lives if everyone could just wear a mask for the next few months. Maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe there's not. But to actually put a mask mandate, I don't know about that. But what could happen if Joe Biden is our elected president? Well, recently, he's had a coronavirus briefing where he's mentioned a COVID-19 advisory board. This board is to be created once he's sworn in, and he claims that it's builds upon a bedrock of science and integrity. What he wants on this board is that this board goes upon to the states and makes sure that their needs and that their problems are met to him in the federal board so they can go look at the U.S. as a whole and see what sort of repercussions they need. It's as if this isn't a thing already. He claims that he wants rapid testing and contact tracers. I just researched this. A hundred, uh, four hundred, uh, 475 thousand people are tested in the United States. We're the third highest country with tests. It's 475,000 people per million. We have 331 around 331 million people in the United States. So that means 157 million people are being tested, which is over half the population. What this is it's honestly a form of plagiarism. He's enacting the same thing as what Trump would have. He's already having rapid tests. He's already having contact tracers. He's already planning for an equitable distribution of the vaccine and an increase of PPE. The only thing really that Biden has over Trump is this mask mandate and the return to the um, World Health Organization. And it's funny how he wants to return to the World Health Organization when they themselves have said lockdowns are ineffective. And I don't know. It seems like Democrats wouldn't be mine to shut down the economy again. And this is the thing when people want to emphasize, oh, you want to look at the economy more than people's lives. How dare you? How dare you? Well, look at it like this. We're starting to live in a society where money is an essential for life. Whether you accept that or not, you can't get anything in this world without money. So money isn't essential. There's many people who risk their lives, specifically in the lower income communities and in the black and Latino communities, that put their whole livelihoods into a store, their little local store, their little business. If we're destroying that, if we're taking that away, if we're letting riots and we're letting lockdowns stop our hard-working people from achieving the American dream, then that's an effect on the American government. And... There has to be a multiple variable solution. You can't just look at this in one way. You can't look at this and just say, how many lives are going to save you know, on a one variable solution? Because you're only just looking in, like Fauci would only look in for lockdowns, 
for mass mandates, all this stuff, because it's the most effective way to save the amount of number of lives in a physical level. However, there are other multiple variables, like I mentioned. Your business, that's a part of your life too. To stop the economy, it's stopping your life. These mandates are also hypocritical. If you put down lockdowns, I don't know if you, if you remember this, but lockdown specifically in my area, all local businesses were closed, except these huge big corporations. The Walmarts were open, the Shaws's were open, um, even Lowe's was open. That's technically an essential business. Basically, if you're allowing a lockdown, it's you're allowing a suppression of big company organizations harvesting money from the American people. Because only these these companies are allowed to be essential to the people. Me going to the hair salon won't be essential. The local business, it's essential for them to live. So it's amazing how the government can define what's essential and what's not essential, and that these lockdowns are putting people at a financial risk. Besides petty politics, it's looking good for the American people. There's many, uh, there's many vaccines that are coming about that seem to be have some sort of promise. From the Hill, the FDA issued an emergency use of authorization on Monday for an Eli Lilly antibody drug to treat mild moderate cases of COVID-19. The FDA's authorization of the Belambium will permit the federal government to distribute the drug to state and territorial health departments to certain facilities. The U.S. already committed last month to 300 doses, 300,000 doses of the experimental drug, paying Eli Lilly $375 million. People who are 12 years or older and weigh at least 400 kilograms are at higher risk of developing COVID-19 hospitalization and will be allowed to take the drug under authorization of a doctor. Those at high risk include people 65 years or older and those who have pre-existing health conditions. Eli said in a release that patients will be able to have this as soon as possible after the FDA further approves of this um, testing. Michael Barr, a White House spokesman, said in a statement that the authorization is a major milestone. Nothing patients will be able to receive a drug without an out-of-pocket cost. This is going to be free to the American people. Through continued determination, this treatment and others like it will help protect the health and well-being of millions of vulnerable Americans until a safe and effective vaccine is approved for use. The emergency use of authorization allows Belavium to distribute, be distributed to the FDA account. Sorry. The emergency use of Authorization allows Belavia to be distributed while the FDA continues to research its safety and effectiveness. It comes after clinical trials determined that the drug may help decrease hospitalizations and emergency room visits for high-risk patients. In the trial, 475 non-hospitalized adults with mild to moderate symptoms, hospitalizations and emergency room visits occurred in 3% of patients treated with the drug, compared to 10% of those treated with the placebo. So it seems to have like this some sort of effect, whether there's a vaccine coming about or there's certain antibodies that are like that Regeneron potion that the president got that seems to help doctors treat this this virus. Hopefully hospitalization can come at a lower rate because if hospitals are being over flooded, that was the main reason of lockdowns. If you remember long ago, it wasn't to keep people from being sick. It was to keep the hospitals from over flooding and not being able to treat people who need the medical attention.
But like I said the other day, there could be some benefits from Biden-Republican-Senate relationship if the, Repub- uh, if the Republicans hold the Senate. If Biden works with Mitch McConnell, maybe they will get this relief bill that Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump have been arguing about. It's kind of crazy. I'm just going to go on a little rant how Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump are basically paying with people's lives. Like, yes, don't we all understand one point three trillion dollars is a lot of money. That's what Trump wants. Nancy wants more. And I know they're having arguments of whether where's the money going to. It's going to help the blue states. We can't let corrupt Democratic officials take over and abuse the taxpayer dollars. Sorry. I told you. I think that was a little little better, my Trump impression, but we're going to keep on going. It it doesn't matter how much money. One trillion dollars is a whole lot of freaking money. The American people have been crying about. For this uh, coronavirus relief bill. I even saw the, uh, like a month ago on CNN, Wolf Blitzer. She was, he was basically criticized as a Republican ally or a Republican sympathizer by Nancy Pelosi. Wolf Blitzer made a very important point to Nancy Pelosi and says, I get it, but the American people need this coronavirus relief bill. It doesn't matter about party politics. He even asked Nancy Pelosi if he's spoken with the president directly about this bill and nada. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's only worked with his correspondent. This is not the way uh, DC should be running. The fact that there's so much polarization between even the candidates themselves that they can't even work together to help the American people is a fail on our uh, government officials, and they should be accounted for. People need to start putting more emphasis on all forms of government, not just the executive, all forms. It's not fair that people and like trump does this too now he can't say if he doesn't say yes to this bill that's giving more money to the blue states it's still putting many people's lives at risk it's honestly disgusting it's monstrous and the american people deserve better from both sides but you know what if biden is elected this republican senate might actually get something done maybe there could be some bipartisan relationship Mitch McConnell has argued for months that he wants this coronavirus relief plan to be passed before 2021. So let's hope and see that if this duo of um, old-time politicians can actually help the American people, unlike Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump bickering for political power. It's honestly disgusting. But another important thing that's coming up besides this COVID-19 talk, it's the first case for Amy Coney Barrett in the Supreme Court justice. Wow. The Supreme Court now has a 6-3 to three conservative majority, which has had many Democrats scared for their lives. And here's just my opinion on this. Democrats, or n- n- no, sorry, not Democrats, because I'm overgeneralizing. I want to be fair. I want to rationalize. I want this conversation to reach everybody. This is how you have to look at the Constitution. People are arguing how someone should read the constitution how it's dated how it's old how it's useless you want judges to not look at the constitution morally to see from the deep within inside their hearts but you should look to them as judges as people who declare things are just or unjust not moral because the law is immoral you don't want a judge to base off morality and here's this fine example. I know 
Amy Coney Barrett's a Catholic, right? But say, for example, she was a, I, I don't know, I don't want to say hardcore Catholic, but her Catholicism reaches upon her decision-making. Catholics think being gay is immoral. Do you really think you want the morals of, say, for example, Amy Coney Barrett, if she actually thinks gay people are moral? If, do you really want that to impede upon the legislation that she passes? No. So you would let, rather look for someone who says they're going to be traditionalist, that they're going to be originalist, and look at the Constitution and see whether or not there, it, this law permits. The judicial branch is not the political branch. People need to realize that. You can't use this for political power. It's the executive and legislative branches that are the ones who who create the laws that are moral. It is up to the judicial branch to see whether or not it's constitutional. So, if we're trying to protect the integrity of our democracy and our government itself, we have to put an emphasis on a political branch of the judicial branch. And what I've seen more is that conservatives do want this originalist, this... Um, they do want an originalist because they know that it protects our society, our democracy. And although it does adhere to certain um, whims of the people, when people are like, oh, we want abortion or whatever, you have to realize that's not the judicial branch's job to give you that. It's not. If you really think it's a fundamental right, then you have to bring it upon the other two branches of government. You'd want traditionalists in there because... People, everyone's morals are different. If you are really having someone who's basing off morals, this is can lead a bad to a bad to society, because we're living in a world without religion. Morals are malleable. What some people think is are is morally right is far from other people. So to discriminate less against others, it's best to look at things by the law. But what's in store for the Supreme Court? People are concerned over ACB and just because she's a Trump appointee. Her conservative values, her view towards religion, they think people think that that's going to affect the way that she's going to judge. Maybe it is, maybe it doesn't. I don't think so because she's made a very clear um, significance on how she wants to read the text of the Constitution in a original, originalist way. But what's very surprising to me is people think that there's such an importance of having idea um, the Supreme Court be 50-50 on ideologies or whatever ideology more that they favor. Even right now, we have a 6-3 to three conservative majority. Granted, people say that's a bad thing. That's why they want to pack the court. However, if you look down into the, grass, um, the grassroots of everything, a lot of decisions go 5-4. So before criticizing ACB, First, look at the record and what's going to happen next. And even, like I said earlier, 5-4, if, say, for example, there's conservative majority, and the recent one is the Pennsylvania and how they changed their laws. Before ACB got anointed, anointed, um, appointed as the Supreme Court Justice, there was a 5-4, no, there was a 4, sorry, there was a 4-4 vote whether Pennsylvania could pass their ballots in late. If you were to believe that just because some of them were conservative before ACB was going to be a 5-3 ratio, you would believe that they would vote no, that they would not allow Pennsylvania in order to Trump to win. But that doesn't happen. 
a lot of decisions go 5-4, and specifically now. A lot of people don't know this, but in the Supreme Court, the Affordable Care Act is up. And now it's ACB's first go. On Tuesday, they heard the first hearings for the Affordable Care Act that many believe that Donald Trump would challenge and other Republicans, how they have gone and criticized the individual mandate that forced people to have health care. And if they didn't have health care, they were to pay a tax. In 2010, they did change this where you don't have to pay a tax, but they still think that since they got rid of that mandate, it declares that the law is unconstitutional. Uh, from an article from the Wall Street Journal, several conservative Supreme Court justices joined liberals voicing skepticism that the entire Affordable Care Act must fall because of one change Congress made in 2017, suggesting that the law may survive its test in the high court. A Texas-led group of Republican-leaning states backed by a Trump administration contended that the 2017 tax law that reduced to zero the ACA's penalty for failing to have insured destroyed its constitutional foundation. The Supreme Court found in 2012 that the law was justified under Congress's power to levy taxes. California and coalition of the liberal trending states joined the Democratic-controlled House defending the law, arguing that the mandate without a penalty makes carrying an insurance a personal choice rather than a legal command. But even if the mandate is unconstitutional, the balance of a thousand-page law, including provisions protecting Americans with pre-existing conditions, should stand. It's hard for you to argue that Congress intended the entire act to fall on mandate if we're struck down when the same Congress that lowered the penalty to zero did not even try to repel the rest of the act. Chief Justice John Roberts told Texas lawyer Kyle Hawkins, the state solicitor general. That's a very good point. Many Republicans, they wanted the mandate gone, they got rid of the mandate, but they never went to fight against taking the whole thing down. Because a lot of them are criticized. If they take down that health insurance, 20 million people will lose health care. And a lot of people who have pre-existing health conditions are going to be left left to fight for themselves. Mr. Hawkins argued that the move, even if an advert made the entire law unconstitutional, because it's a statute that most Americans shall carry their own health insurance. Justice Brett Kavanaugh said that even if the elimination of the penalty made the mandate unconstitutional, the court's precedents required upholding as much of a statute as possible. See, this is what I'm saying. Brett Kavanaugh is a Trump appointee who got slandered by Democrats. He's a conservative. However, he's already going up to these next lines and saying, hey, wait a minute, push aside my, my conservative values or whatever, Based off the law and severability, all these pre-exist, all these other conditions that are not the mandate should withhold. And I, I agree. There's nothing unconstitutional about it. He said that all indications with the rest of the ACA were provisions extending medical aid coverage to the working poor, allocating subsidies for low-income Americans to pr- uh, purchase private insurance, and protecting individuals with pre-existing health conditions. It does seem fairly clear that the proper remedy would be to sever the mandate provision and leave the rest of the act, the provisions regarding pre-existing conditions and the rest, said Chief Justice Roberts. I think this is going to look very good. I think probably the Affordable Care Act's going to withstand. Um, it doesn't look like um, Dem- uh, Republicans are going to get their way with this. I'm very intrigued to see what ACB rules upon. I... I don't agree with Obamacare, the way it's run, the way it's done. I even remember in high school I said, yeah, I think we should get in universal health care, but I knew there were certain problems with Obamacare, like rising subsidies and um, costs that are increasing because it's competing against uh, private insurances. 
but I I understand that a lot of people need this health care. And until we have a better better plan, I don't think it's necessary to get rid of Obamacare. And granted, a lot of Republicans say, oh, specifically Trump, oh, if we repeal and unconstitutionalize the ACA, then I'll put the best health care. I haven't seen a plan yet. It's not that there isn't a plan. I haven't seen the plan. And I this over-obsession of attacking Obamacare, I, I don't get it. There's no mandate anymore. And granted, yeah, it's now competing with the free market. Provide a pl- better plan. I don't think this is the best way to go against the Supreme Court. I think it's going to be interesting. I want to see what ACB does. I hope, honestly, I hope she votes to not um, overturn the law. Uh, and It's going to be interesting. I can't wait. Um, this is the end of this podcast. I want to say thank you guys for listening. This is my first go. I know it's a little rough, um, but it's only going to get better. Thank you.